When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and happy 19 days to the start of the NCAA basketball season. I'm super excited that just over a little over two weeks, we'll get to be watching college basketball, um, Thanksgiving tournaments, all the fun stuff. So really looking forward to that. We're, of course, going to talk about the upcoming NCAA basketball season today. And I'm here with Calvin Wetzel from our Hoop Stats team to do that. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey, Megan, it's good. How are you doing? Doing well. Happy belated Halloween, I guess. Well, it's been over almost a week now, so I guess it's not really Halloween season anymore. I can't really <laughs> believe that it's already November, so I'm like, all right, it's still Halloween, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's either Thanksgiving or Christmas now, depending on who you ask. It's, it's one of those <laughs> weird social media debates that I don't really understand, but <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's actually like, this is not basketball related at all, but like a pet peeve of mine that people like literally start Christmas the day after Halloween because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. 100% because it's, the holiday is entirely about eating. But anyway, um, like yeah. I hate that like everyone like ignores Thanksgiving. Like it gets like a day and I'm like, no, November is Thanksgiving. Christmas can start on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's like the whatever that's called the little stepsister of holidays or something. It's I, I saw something. uh like a calendar today where it was like the it was november december and like every single day had was christmas except for thanksgiving day so it's like christmas for the next three weeks and then it's thanksgiving and then it's like christmas again for the next month it's just like whatever to, to each their own i guess <laughs> yeah 
I'll give it to people this year because, like, whatever makes you happy. But yeah. <laughs> in general, I hate it. <laughs> I also love Halloween, and I feel like Halloween just, like, blew by this year. So, I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess we're yeah. one month closer to being done with 2020 and... Mm only three weeks from college basketball so that's something to look forward to absolutely so so megan's favorite holidays are the holiday where we eat turkey and mashed potatoes and the holiday where we eat candy so yes holidays where we eat i'm all about it (laughs) yes that and the the first day of the college basketball season yes that's a holiday too and also watch basketball (laughs) yeah maybe it has my love for thanksgiving also has something to do with the fact that like you get good basketball and good food all together it's really a underrated holiday <laughs> that's true and this year the thanksgiving week is the actual start of college basketball usually it's kind of when the good games start but the actual games start three weeks prior but this, this week it's just all getting underway on uh i think the wednesday the day before thanksgiving right yep the day before thanksgiving and yeah i'm sure that i haven't seen too many schedules like that but i'm sure there's tons of thanksgiving day game so I hope my family's prepared for me to ignore them because I've not gotten to watch basketball in like two months so I'm gonna be watching basketball <laughs> yeah I know people talk about Thanksgiving being for families Thanksgiving's not for family Thanksgiving's for college basketball <laughs> let's be honest let's call space <laughs> yes um funny side story also not really too totally related but anyway my family like my grandparents are big baseball fans but like my family are obviously big basketball UConn fans and then my mom's brother's family are big basketball fans and a couple of years ago on Thanksgiving, the UConn men played the Syracuse men, which is a huge rivalry game on Thanksgiving Day. And um, my mom's brother's family, are, they're all Syracuse fans. So we're like all in the living room watching this game, like screaming at the TV, screaming at each other. And my grandma just comes in. She's like, she doesn't watch a lot of basketball. So she's just like, I don't understand what the big deal is. It's not like it's the Yankees playing the Red Sox. And we're like, no, but it is like the Yankees playing the Red Sox. <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> so, so that's basketball in my or thanksgiving holiday in my family <laughs> we all <laughs> I love basketball that. and eat turkey <laughs> i love that gower family thanksgiving that's amazing <laughs> all right so should we talk about some actual college basketball let's do it it's been uh, way too long i'm ready it has. So we asked for questions on Twitter. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of run through those and talk about different things um, that you guys wanted to hear about. So thank you to everyone that sent us questions. Can I start it off with a question from Gabe Ibrahim from our Hoop Stats team. So shout out to Gabe for their podcast. If you haven't listened to that yet this week, go check that out. Um, and thanks to Gabe for the questions. But he had one to start off soft with here. Which transfer and also freshman will have the biggest impact on her new team? Do you want to kick us off? Start with the transfers, I guess. Yeah, um, I got a, I got a couple. I'm going to go with um, number one is going to be Destiny Slocum. I'm very excited to see how Slocum fits in at, at uh, Arkansas. She she maybe could have gone to the WNBA, um, but she decided to come back to school and play for Mike Neighbors, who uh, she verbally committed to, actually. When she was a junior in high school, Neighbors was the coach at Washington. She verbally committed to Washington and then withdrew and ended up going to Maryland, where she was the National Freshman of the Year. Uh, Then she transferred to Oregon State, where she had a ton of success in the Pac-12. And now she is finally playing for Mike Neighbors, and 
a really up-tempo system. They love to run and they love to shoot, which I think is a system that Destiny Slocum is going to thrive in, playing next to uh, Chelsea Dungey, also one of the best shooters uh, and just scorers in the SEC. Um, and, and having Kelsey Plum being able to learn under the, the tutelage of Kelsey Plum, too, who uh, neighbors brought in to be uh, an assistant coach this season. So I'm really excited to, to watch Arkansas and watch how Slocum fits in there. Definitely. I feel like she's going to be such a fun one to watch. Obviously someone that's played at quite a few places in her college career, which is, I feel like different than you typically see, but um, obviously was huge at Oregon state going to be huge there. Should make the SEC a little bit more interesting, right? You've got kind of some, in addition to, you know, your South Carolina, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but um, we've got some other teams that are kind of near the top of that conference that um, are kind of all competitive with each other. And I think that our, we saw Arkansas in that group a little bit anyway last year, kind of a surprise team there. But adding her obviously makes it even more likely that they're going to be up with the kind of top group in the SEC again. So that will be fun to watch. Yeah, and she's uh, obviously she's a fifth year senior with the transfer uh, from Maryland to Oregon State, having to sit out a year. And, and Chelsea Dungey redshirted a year and is a fifth year senior as well. So you're talking about a backcourt that not only can both run and shoot uh, and is a great fit, you know, in a run and gun type of offense, but also a backcourt that's both fifth years and, and has as much experience, you know, in veteran leadership as any backcourt in the conference and maybe in the country. So that's going to be that's going to be really important when you're playing a young South Carolina team who's who's full of freshmen and sophomores. Right. And while we're talking about transfers and experienced backcourts, I feel like we need to talk about Dijonay Carrington transferring from Stanford to Baylor. Uh, obviously, Baylor's had a little bit of a success. That's a joke. A lot of success with um, grad transfer point guards in the past couple of seasons. They won the national championship with Chloe Jackson, who transferred from LSU. And then, we're on what looked like a final four path before the season ended last year with Taya Cooper. So I'm excited to see what DJNA Carrington does there, especially because you add in the fact that she transferred from Stanford. So she transferred from a top program to Baylor to play in that role. Yeah, she's definitely another exciting one uh, to watch. And, and you're right, Kim Mulkey has that you know history with with having a lot of success with those transfer point guards. Um, so, so that's going to be a fun one in the Big 12. Uh, the other one that I wanted, I had, and I don't know if you had any more as well, but I, going back to the SEC, uh, Shakira Austin transferring from Maryland to Ole Miss. Uh, I'm interested in Ole Miss in general. I know we're going to get to Gabe's other question about the the freshman here in, in a bit. Uh, Ole Miss, actually, I could, I could bring them up with both of these questions because Shakira Austin um, is going to be an impact transfer for them. Uh, and, you know, have be a big presence for them right away. Her freshman year, Maryland, she was top 15 in the country in blocks per game, uh, six foot five. They also have um, two, two top 50 recruits, a top 15 and a top 50 in Madison Scott and Jacoria Bracey. So to me, the interesting thing uh, about Ole Miss is that they were 297th in the country last year in our, uh, the Her Hoop Stats ratings. That was the bottom power conference team. Uh, but coach uh, Yolette McPhee McEwen has has this team obviously headed in the right direction. She's in her third year, so this is her second recruiting class, bringing in two impact freshmen and an impact transfer. So I'm really more interested in these kind of long term and you know two three years from now to see the direction that this program goes because they're, they're not going to compete with South Carolina and the SEC or anything like that this year. But I don't think they're going to be a doormat either. 
And I'm really interested to see the impact that Shakira Austin, you know, back to our question about the transfers, the impact that Shakira Austin can have for them. Definitely. That's like a three big additions for them. Um, I think if nothing else, it takes the floor of the SEC and elevates it to a better level. I'm sure they're not going to be 297th in the country with that talent this year. So really interesting to see long term. And then another transfer I had going the opposite direction. So from the SEC and now to the Big Ten, you have uh, and similar teams too, I guess, because you've got Chloe Bibby going from Mississippi State to Maryland, which is a big move as well. Um, I'm going to guess that, I don't know this for sure, but probably left Mississippi State due to the coaching change with Vic Schaefer heading down to Texas and um, obviously going to be a big piece to a Maryland team that lost a lot this offseason. They had a lot of people transfer out, um, but kind of gives Maryland something there that people know what to expect from. Yeah, interesting kind of trading states, right, from Mississippi yep. and Maryland. Um, yeah, she'll definitely be a big one. That Maryland is is an interesting case that you bring up. They have they they have a lot of people transfer in and out. It seems like every year. And uh, Taylor Mikesell is another one we haven't talked about who transferred out and is immediately eligible. I think everyone's immediately eligible this year. Yeah, <laughs> um, but she's immediately eligible to play for Oregon. Um, so that that'll be an interesting one to watch. At Oregon, they bring in her, and then also Sedona Prince from Texas who uh, transferred a year ago, but had to sit out. Um, so this will be her first, this will be her first year with Oregon. And actually she didn't get to play for Texas due to an injury. So this will be just her first year on the court of college basketball. So Taylor Mikesell and uh, Stona Prince is a duo that I'm really, really excited to watch as well. Agreed. And yeah, to your point, I think they're just letting everyone, tra- well, I think they're supposed to approve that new rule, right? That everyone gets a one-time transfer in the next like few months anyway, I guess. So I guess they're just preemptively doing that and just letting everyone play this year, which I'm fine with. I always thought it was a dumb rule, but. Yeah, absolutely. It's refreshing to see the NCAA kind of do the right thing in regard to transfer waivers. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> like, well, yes, the 18-year-olds might not know exactly what they want for the next four years when they make a commitment <laughs> in their like junior year of high school. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Yep. We're. <laughs> <laughs> we could go in that soapbox all day. Yeah. <laughs> but should we talk about the freshmen? I'll give the obvious answer here, which is Paige Becker is at UConn. Obviously, probably the most talked about recruit in a long time. I mean, maybe ever just because of the amount of social media attention that she's gotten. Um, number one recruit in the country, I think widely recognized as the best recruit since either Asia Wilson or Brianna Stewart. So kind of like one of those players that you're expecting to have immediate impact and a big impact on the college game in the next three, four years. Yeah, I was, you know, I was going to ask you about her actually as the UConn uh, expert of, of our team who just got done recording a UConn podcast. Mm-hmm. right? Before. So I was going to ask you, uh, Paige Beckers, in your opinion, is UConn's best recruit since who? Would you say Brianna Stewart? Yeah, I would say Brianna Stewart, um, definitely the most, you know, hyped recruit since Brianna Stewart, whether she'll be the best player since Brianna Stewart, I feel like there's still big shoes to fill there, right, because you've got Nafisa Collier and a couple other All-Americans, you know, in that window, but uh, I feel like I was hesitant to jump on the, like, the Paige Becker's hype train, because I was just like, it's a lot of pressure for an 18-year-old kid, like, <laughs> all this attention, Um but, I mean, Gino said she's good, which, you know, talking positively about freshmen before the season even starts is always a good sign. So, I think she's going to do big things at UConn. 
Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really excited to watch her, and it's 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 a really big you know recruit for UConn too. Who I feel like obviously historically has been Gino has been as, as good of a recruiter as anyone. Uh, but I feel like Don Staley has been uh, maybe out recruiting him a little bit in the last few years. Um, so for him to get a number one is uh, pretty big. And when it's not like UConn has gone anywhere, but people think they've gone anywhere somewhere because uh, they're not undefeated every single year anymore. Um, <laughs> and so it, it, it almost like feels like UConn has, has come down off of that top tier. You know, last year they were probably not headed for a one seed for the second straight year. Um this is, it's big for him to bring in a number one overall recruit, I think. <laughs> yeah, you, you say that, but then you're also, I'll like raise you the fact that there wasn't a number one recruit last year, but the year before you had Kristen Williams was the number one recruit. Megan Walker was the number one recruit. Katie Lou Samson was the number one recruit. There, there was plenty of them. <laughs> but Paige, I think, is another level of one number one recruit. I think there's number one recruits, and then there's like <laughs> number one recruits that are like, you're like what you would call program changers if she went someplace else so yeah definitely you raise a valid point they usually they get a lot of number one recruits I guess the, <laughs> I kind of feel like Don Staley maybe is going for the volume more uh yeah you had three what was a top 10 or top 15 freshman last year I think next year in 2021 uh she has number two number three and number four coming to South yep. um so she she's kind of out valuing uh Gino and this Gino lands his you know his one a uh, gold star, whatever you want to call it, five-star mm-hmm. recruit, you know, number one. And, and Dylan Staley just fills her team with top tens. Uh, but, but, but Gino's still, still there. Definitely. And, and Beckers is absolutely more hyped than uh, I think any of those names you mentioned since Brianna Stewart. Yes, for sure. Um, honestly, like I feel like she's more hyped since Brianna Stewart and not because I think she's going to be better than Brianna Stewart. I think it's just like, I've said this kind of last week too, but this is the world we live in now, like the social media and the attention, which is obviously awesome for the women's game, but it's just like so much different than like Brianna Sturt came to UConn when I was starting college in the world. So it's just so much different than it was eight years ago or whatever that was. Yeah, you raise a great point I was going to bring up as well. Like it's, uh, we, who knows how hyped someone like Brianna Stewart would have been. Um, and it's not like, it's not like we're talking about the eighties or nineties, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but <laughs> yeah. technology and social media and everything like that changes so fast these days that just the ability to build your brand on like Instagram, for example, as a 16 year old is t- today is, is just unbelievable compared to what it was even in the recent past. And the same thing with like Zion Williamson on the men's side, he became just like an instant social media sensation dunking on everyone, you know, in high school. <laughs> and there's no way he would have been that hyped in 2010 for example right exactly yeah it just totally changes the way things go I mean like even now like TikTok like I don't even I'm too old to understand what TikTok is but (laughs) (laughs) it makes me feel old but like you've got these like high schoolers that are making like millions of dollars on TikTok and I'm like I I don't understand it's such a different lifestyle than when like you or I was in high school (laughs) yeah I definitely have no idea how TikTok works either it makes me feel like I'm 70 but uh, it's uh it's, it's cool that you know I love just that the women's game like you said but also just young young athletes have sort of a way to capitalize on their their brand or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. agreed I think it's great for the game yeah um but going back to freshmen who else do you have on that list other than Paige which is kind of like the obvious person to talk yeah. about here 
Yeah, so obviously she was at the top of my list. Uh, and then I mentioned the two from Ole Miss. I had them on my list just as the uh, sleepers, maybe, if you want to call them, or just kind of non-top tens that I think will have a huge impact on their program from the standpoint of they're going to a program that isn't accustomed recently to getting those types, even a top 15 or top 20 recruit. Um, so they'll have a huge impact right away, as opposed to if they went to, say, a UConn or an Oregon. But then uh, the other one we haven't mentioned yet that I'm excited about is Cameron Brink at Stanford. Uh, you know, we might talk about her a little bit more when I know we're going to get into the Pac-12 some. Uh, she's number three overall, and she's going to join Haley Jones, who was last year's number one overall and missed the latter half of the season with an injury uh, and should be back. So Stanford's going to put, you know, a number one and a number three together on the court with with a bunch of players returning as well. And, and Cameron Brink, uh, I you know, from everything I read, I wish we had more sort of uh, coverage of, of recruiting on, on the women's side so we could, you know, every once in a while you see on ESPN, there's high school boys basketball games and you can watch the top <laughs> recruits. Zion was on TV before he went to Duke, you know, but we don't really get that on the women's side. I, I wish we did more so I could see these players play. Uh, more before they get to college, but but I have obviously read read a lot about players like Beckers or, or about Cameron Brink, and she's for everything I read, she's she's an athlete, she's she's a rim protector, um, but she can she's a gazelle and she can run the floor, and I'm really excited to to watch watch her play at Stanford. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we talked about the Pac-12 a ton, one of the most exciting conferences in women's basketball in general, but agree, I'm excited in general about Stanford this year. I think we'll talk about that more later, but she's going to be a fun addition. To your point about being able to watch the high schoolers, though, I totally agree with that. I wish there was more opportunities to do that. I remember, I think it was two summer ago, it was the summer before Kristen Williams and Olivia Nelson-Odota started at UConn. They had, like, the FIBA Americas, like, U18 World Cup that summer, I think it was, or I don't World Cup or tournament, one of those tournaments through FIBA anyway. But the two of them and a lot of the like big recruits that year played in that tournament, and I thought it was so fun over the summer to be able to like watch their games on YouTube and kind of get a feel for what these players looked like on the court before the season started, which is not necessarily an opportunity you usually have with freshmen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, that's another thing that'll be growing, you know, in the women's game in particular, the more, uh, social media grows and the internet and, and streaming type of options grow. Um, it would be really fun to be able to know about these players, sort of their game just by wa- watching their game as opposed to just what we hear about them or maybe YouTube highlights because YouTube highlights make everyone look good, you know, but um, it, would, it would be really cool to be able to know about some of these, these players a little bit more before we see them on the college court. For sure. And then one more freshman to add to that list before we move on to the next question. Um, Haley Von Leith at um, Louisville is, I think, another one. One that's there's been quite a bit of national attention around, but I think in the backcourt there you've got her and then you've got your senior point guard that's, I believe, been listed as a pre-season All-American a couple places, Dana Evans. So that should be kind of a fun pairing to see how all that all works out. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be a really fun one to watch uh, in the ACC. For sure. All right. Let me find another question here. Well, speaking about the ACC, uh, we've got one from Travis 
Lund on Twitter about, not really a question, just a statement, but I want to talk about it anyway because I think it's one of the best stories heading in the season. And you've got Tiana, Tiana being back on the court at Syracuse. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but it's just one of those stories that I think the world needs. I think we all need in 2020 with everything that, that has happened and all this negativity uh, just in the world. Um, I think it's it's sort of a feel-good story to see someone like Tiana, uh, you know, battle cancer and and be able to to stick with it and come back. And, and really the first game that she steps back on the court, that's going to be a special moment I'm excited for. Agreed. For those of you that aren't familiar with her story, she was the point guard at Syracuse uh, for two seasons and then missed last season battling breast cancer. Um, but obviously just an incredible story that she's going to come back this year and play for them. And uh, we shouldn't just say like a point guard for Syracuse. Like she was a nationally like recognized point guard, right? She was a very good point guard, got a lot of national media attention. Um, obviously really horrible to have to deal with the battle with cancer, but a feel good story. I think is exactly what we need to start the 2020 season. So really excited to see her back on the court. Absolutely. And I just, I just hope whether it's, you know, whatever, TV option it is that her first game back is is on some sort of TV that we can watch. You know, I'll I'll find it whatever whatever streaming or wherever it's at. But um, that's that's going to be appointment television for me just to see the moment. Yeah, I like hope it, they find a way to get it on like ESPN or something. Just because I feel like being able to do that and have like Holly Rowe there would just be such an awesome story. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I yeah. think that would be really cool to see. Absolutely. With with Holly Rowe, you know, for I'm sure most listeners know, but has, you know, battled cancer herself. So there's definitely a connection there. And, and you're right. It would be it would absolutely be just amazing to have for, you know, that connection to have Holly Rowe be able to do that game and have that game on national TV. Agreed. So another question from Travis here, he said, Zona possibly moving into the driver's seat in the Pac-12, but I think we can just frame that as, like, who do you think is in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 this year? Yeah, uh, I thought this one was funny because Travis, in his tweet, uh, you know, like you said, mentioned Arizona, and then you responded saying you think UCLA might be in the driver's seat, and then I messaged you saying I think Stanford might be in the driver's seat, and I don't know if any of us are wrong, but just the fact that we all disagree tells you, you know, how good the Pac-12 really is at the top. And, you know, we, none of the three of us even mentioned Oregon, uh, who, who's going to be right there, even though they lost a lot. Um, I, I don't actually know who's in the driver's seat. I think it's Stanford, though. So I'll, I'll start with them, and we can kind of go through each of those four teams maybe a little bit. Um, we already mentioned Cameron Brink uh, and Haley Jones, a great, great one-two punch of young young players, freshman, sophomore, top three recruits. Uh, Kiana Williams is back as a senior running the show at the point guard. Stanford won 14 Pac-12 titles in a row, basically to start, you know, the century, uh, and has not won one since 2014, since Chanae Ogumike. Uh, so, but I think Haley Jones and Cameron Brink might be the most talented combination of players or the, you know, the best two recruits that they've gotten since the groom case uh so they could that streak of not winning pac 12 titles you know seven years now um could end or six years um they they also stanford brings back basically everyone that's why that's why i'm looking at them in the driver's seat in addition to you know the two uh the top three recruits i mentioned uh from last year and this year 
but among players who, you know, let me find this stat here. I have it written down to make sure that I don't say this incorrectly and because I'm sure people will hate on me on Twitter for it. Um, among players who played at least 100 minutes last year, so, you know, they lost Dijonet Carrington, uh, but she didn't, she didn't play very much. She was hurt. Um, I think, right, or did she trans actually – now, now I'm questioning hurt. myself. She was, she was hurt. I'm right about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, she also transferred, but she she was hurt, so she didn't play 100 minutes. They had they had uh, 12 players play 100 minutes throughout the course of the season, which is like three games. It's nothing. Uh, 11 of them are back, so they have and they were a top 10 team last year, pretty much no matter who you ask. So they got almost everyone back. They got their number one recruit from last year back who missed the latter half of the season. They got the number three recruit this year. Um, so I, I do think that they are maybe the team to beat, but this is a league unlike the SEC where there's not necessarily any challengers for South Carolina or the Big 12 where there's not necessarily any challengers for Baylor where there are definitely a lot of challengers. Um, and, and, you know, you obviously didn't aren't picking Stanford. So I know you were on that UCLA bandwagon last year, but you're, you're on the bandwagon again this year? <laughs> I mean, you know I don't pass up a chance to hype up UCLA. But, yeah, I mean, well, last year my take that they could win the conference was more of a scheduling, like, cliche and not, <laughs> um, like, actual take that I thought they were going to be better than Oregon. But I really do think that UCLA has a chance to kind of be in that top spot this year. I think last year, right, it was like kind of clear that Oregon was probably going to end up on the top there. Um, but this year, I think UCLA's got a real chance. You've got Michaela Anyaweri that's going to be a senior. I take every excuse I can to talk about her. I think she's going to be a lottery pick. Um, just such a fun player to watch. And then you also have Charisma Osborne, who was a freshman for UCLA last year, but really good freshman season for her. Um, and I think you're just going to see more from her this year. So that and then plus they return most of their other pieces as well so I think they're going to build on where they were at last year and be in a really good spot heading into the season yeah it's it's interesting how much uh talent and production returns to the top of the back 12 outside of Oregon Stanford returns right. almost everyone UCLA I think they really only lost Japrice Dean in terms right. of sort of impact players that they lost um and, and Charisma Osborne, I was going to bring her up too. She led the team in three-point shooting. It was 33%. So it wasn't exactly – they didn't shoot very well from three as a team last year. They were 291st as a team. Uh, I think that's something they're going to have to improve this year if they want to win the Pac-12. Uh, and, and obviously Osborne could take a step up in that department and lead the team again in three-point shooting. Um, I'm definitely excited to see her. Uh, UCLA was 27th in our ratings last year. Which, which doesn't exactly line up where I think the sort of popular opinion had them. They were always in the top 25 of the polls and, and often a lot higher than that throughout the course of the year. Um, so, so the analytics didn't necessarily like them. You know, the eye test liked them a lot. Um, and it's, it's basically the same team as last year. They didn't have any top 100 freshman recruits coming in. They don't have any transfers coming in. So you're really talking about the same team as it was last year. Uh, so, so yeah, you're, you're definitely right. They definitely are going to be right in that mix again at the top of the Pac-12 uh, with those sort of big four. Um, and, and Michaela Onyenwede, I, I said it better than I did. Did I? Okay. <laughs> you get the I, accent I, right. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I said it right either. I, I listened to her own voice say it before this podcast, make sure I get it right on the website and you click the little button, you know, and it has the players themselves saying their names, which is, I think on is great. Page. 
because that clears it up because we listen to the announcers and the announcers are wrong half the time. Yeah. So um, I, I did that and I still think I might have mispronounced it, but um, I'm glad you think I, I did okay. It's a hard name to pronounce. Yeah. Um, I've watched the video of her trying to teach like Holly Rowe how to say it like 50 times <laughs> and I still can't get it right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, even if you know how to say, you still can't say it. It's it's tough. But, uh, you know, however you say her last name, she's she's going to be a force in the Pac-12 this year. Yes, for sure. And yeah, you brought up a good point about their three-point shooting. I think just their offense in general last year, they struggled on the offensive end a lot. They're going to need to clean that up to win the Pac-12. But I think they, a lot of the times last year, made up for it on the defensive end. Really strong defense, really strong on the glass, especially the offensive glass. So um, it should be kind of fun to watch them. If they can get that offense going this year, they're definitely going to be a threat in the Pac-12. Yeah, and it's interesting. I read uh, an article the other day. This was about men's basketball. I think it you know, probably applies to women's too. It'd be interesting to do a study on it. Um, basically looking at teams who get, quote, everyone back, not literally everyone, but the teams that people like to talk about they're getting everyone back, which probably means they get like 10 out of 12 players back or something. Um, the teams that basically look a lot like they did last year, those teams improve a little bit on the defensive end, but the biggest improvement is on the offensive end. Those teams who bring back like 90% of their production almost always improve much more significantly on the offensive end as they do on the defensive end um, on the men's side. And, and I would expect maybe that that's similar on the women's side as well. So UCLA definitely could see an improvement uh, on the offensive end, which, which like you said, they probably need if they're going to win the Pac-12, especially if they don't have sort of that help from the schedule that you keenly noticed last year. Um, <laughs> But uh, they're definitely going to be a fun team to watch. What do you think about it? Uh, we still have to talk about Oregon and Arizona. What do you think about Travis's assertion on Arizona? I mean, Ari McDonald is a reason enough to make that uh, assertion there. I think, you know, when you're talking about lottery picks, another one from the Pac-12 probably coming and her, maybe even a number one pick. I don't think that's that far-fetched to think. So, um, obviously, really excited to see what she's going to do. Arizona, they beat – Oregon, I think, in a game last year, like they definitely and they contended with all the top teams in the Pac-12 last year, and going into McDonald's senior year, I mean, they're just going to be better. And I also just, I mean, in general, like excited for Ari McDonald because I feel like she's kind of flown under the radar a little bit, especially, I mean, in the Pac-12 last year, you were up against names like Ionescu and Saboli and Hebert, but she's going to be full on that national radar this year so hopefully they'll get some national televised games not so many Pac-12 games I think Pac-12 players in general just like suffer from that um they play so many other games on the Pac-12 network so these big time stars unless they're getting ESPN games like don't get the national recognition you're talking two players here that like are probably lottery ticks that probably have played only a handful of ESPN games so excited to kind of see them on that national spotlight yeah, and just the East Coast bias too. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of these games that are taking place on the Pac-12 network, or or even if they are on ESPN, you know, they're, they're taking place so late for uh, for you all out on the East Coast, and even a little bit late here in the Central Time Zone. But I'm a night owl, so I'll stay up and watch them. But uh, I, you're you're right. They do deserve more exposure. I I love Eric McDonald too, and I I love Sam Thomas. Those are maybe like two of my favorite players to watch play uh in the whole country just from a standpoint of their well especially Erin mcdonald you know she's like and anytime you have one of those players that's like how, how tall is she five 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 four she's um, like, yeah <laughs> yeah like a crystal dangerfield you know anytime you have a player like that 
they they're just they just out quick everyone and they run circles around everyone and it's it's so fun to watch uh you know with the ball in their hand no one can stay in front um and and then sam thomas too is just one of those players i feel like uh just just from watching her a few times last year just, just does does all the the sort of you know winning things just uh isn't like gonna gonna stand out in the stat sheet per se but just uh is always making the right play an undersized big at six foot, but she's a she's a really great rebounder and can knock down the three. Um, and that actually also describes uh, another play. They bring in two transfers too. That uh, maybe I should have mentioned in the impact transfers. Uh, you know when we talked about that. But Trinity Baptiste was the ACC sixth player of the year last year, uh, and I think she's a little bit like Sam Thomas as well, an undersized six foot forward who can who can rebound and shoot. Uh, and she might Sam Thomas is a senior, so. Uh, Trinity Baptiste might be the Sam Thomas of the future for, for Dia Barnes there in Arizona. And then also Shayna Pellington, Big 12 freshman of the year in her freshman season with Oklahoma. And now she is with Arizona as well. She's a, she's a ball handler. She can take some of the pressure, I think, off Aaron of, off McDonald to not have to be, you know, the, the primary ball handler for 40 minutes a game um, and, and allow her to not necessarily rest per se, uh, but 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 rest in the, in the sense that she won't have to always be on the ball and making plays. Um, and so I'm really excited to see how those two transfers fit in with this team as well. For sure. And then should we talk about the fourth one that we put up there with Oregon? Um, I think for me, I don't know that they're quite in that tier. I think Oregon's still going to be good. I think this year is going to be a bit of a rebuilding year for them. I think just losing uh, INSQ, Subway, and Hebert is a lot to lose. Yeah, I think uh, I I'm, I have an article probably coming out next week with some storylines to watch. I'm gonna touch on this in the article too, but I uh, I think this is an interesting year for Oregon because I think this might be the year where Kelly Graves can kind of prove, you know, that he is sort of that top tier elite coach. We already know that he's he's a great coach, but when you think of you know the top tier, you think of Geno obviously, and now you think of you know maybe Kim Mulkey or uh, Don Staley and Kelly Graves might be there, but he hasn't been there for long enough yet. Um, you know, he's just had sort of national contenders in the past couple of years uh, for the first time in his career. So I'm not sure if he's there yet, but if you're really that level of coach, um, then, then it doesn't matter how much production you lose. You have your team competing for the final four year in, year out. When's the last time, UConn, we said, you know, this is going to be a rebuilding year for them, right? Like, never. We don't say that because Gino is the type of coach who could lose 10 WNBA players and it wouldn't matter. He would still have his team in the top 10 next year. Uh, and so, so I'm not sure what the answer is, to be honest, whether, whether Oregon will be able to sort of reload as opposed to rebuild or not. I do know they have the talent. Um, they, they have a top – well, they have the top recruiting class in the country. They have five top 20 freshman recruits uh which is insane and then they also we we talked about with the transfers earlier taylor mike sell and sedona prince both uh will be will be playing for them this year taylor mike sell coming from maryland sedona prince coming from texas where she never actually played due to injury but but they obviously those two are very talented and prince is six seven and is going to be a force in the paint um and then they also have satu's uh younger sister nayara sabali um who's who hopefully is going to be healthy this year after, you know, two 
back-to-back seasons that she missed due to injury. So knock on wood, we'll be able to see her play as well. So they have a lot of talent, um, but you're right. They're also replacing, they're replacing Sabrina. They're replacing Satu. They're replacing Ruthie, number one, two, and eight picks in the WNBA draft. And then Mignon Moore was, was a starter for them as well. Uh, and she's gone. So they actually are, lost four starters. It's, it's a lot to replace. And it'll be really interesting to see whether, whether Kelly Graves is able to win right away with this sort of new group or with a bunch of talented players, but a bunch of young players, and especially in an offseason where they didn't get to work very much together, obviously, because of COVID-19. So you have freshmen, you have transfers. These, re- these players really haven't b- had a chance to sort of develop that chemistry. So I'm, I'm excited to see Oregon's kind of a wild card for me this year. I think they could win the Pac-12 or finish fourth or fifth, really, anywhere in between. Yeah, I would kind of agree with everything you just said. To me, there's no doubt in my mind that Oregon has kind of established itself as part of this elite, um, you know, kind of group in women's basketball, right? I think most of the teams that are in that group, it starts with your, like, one big-time star. They really had a trio of big-time stars, but Sabrina is kind of the name that people will remember there. And then it's like, can you quickly rebuild after that? And everything about Kelly Ravitz, Graves roster going into this season says like yes they've got a top recruiting class big time transfers I don't know that it's going to all come together this year there's a lot of question marks when you're relying on that many freshmen but I have no doubt in my mind by like next year we're definitely talking about them as a top program again so I think they're officially kind of like have made their way and established themselves in that top tier Absolutely. The, qu- the question is this year, right? Because you know that they have the talent with those transfers and freshmen to get right back in the picture, you know, as soon as 2021. But without, without that practice time with all the new faces, will they be able to be at that level right away or even by the end of the year? Will it take them a year? And I, I don't know the answer, but it'll be fun to find out. Agreed, agreed. Okay, so another question here from Rod Porsche on Twitter said, how do you think the lack of fans attending games might impact teams who typically play in front of large crowds pre-pandemic? He mentioned the Pac-12 in specific and zero fan arenas. Does it hurt like the big time teams from last year? So Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona now have very little home court advantage. You have thoughts to kick this off there? Yeah, uh, I think it always is going to hurt a little bit. We haven't seen college basketball yet with no fans, but we have seen quite a few other sports now with no fans and it definitely takes away some of that home court home field advantage um, in the sense that that's, that's kind of where you get your energy from. Um, You know, the fans really, really giving you that boost when you go on a 10 0 run or something like that. Uh, There's still going to be some home court advantage with, uh, with travel, you know, sleeping in your own bed is always going to be easier than traveling, traveling across the country, for example, or even just, state or two away but it'll definitely have an impact and and it'll be interesting to hear like we did got to in the WNBA uh just sort of hear more of what goes on in terms of the players and the coaches and the refs and and what they're saying you know throughout the games yeah exactly I'm actually kind of excited for that part that will be fun but I do think from a home court advantage point yeah like it's definitely a, a disadvantage to some teams or whoever really the home court team is I feel like there's some games that aren't going to matter, like your conference games when you've got, you know, the top team of the conference versus the bottom team of the conference. Does it really matter that there's not a crowd? Probably not that much. But 
when you've got your big non-conference matchups or you're like, you know, South Carolina versus Mississippi State game in the SEC, like not having that crowd part, I think definitely plays into it. Uh, I feel like, you know, people don't, you don't want to say like the crowd impacts the game that much, but it so does. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's so much momentum and energy that comes from a crowd in a, your home arena, especially when it's a big time game and the people there know it's a big time game, but it makes it fun, but it also like adds energy for the players, I think. So it's going to be interesting to kind of, it's probably going to feel really weird for them, right? To be like, you know, you've got like your UConn versus like Baylor game and you're just, there's no one there. <laughs> like, uh, It's, it's going to be weird. Yeah. It's going to level the playing field a little bit. Um, and it'll be interesting too, because uh, this is going to be kind of our first uh, case study, if you want to call it that in, in terms of, basketball uh home court basketball that doesn't have fans um you know we've seen it now maybe like in the nfl or in baseball but in terms of basketball the the wnba and the nba didn't have fans obviously but they were in bubbles there was no home court they're all playing on the same court uh this is our first major sort of basketball in in the united states that we're going to have since the pandemic where teams are playing on their own courts still and they still have a travel advantage and they still have sort of the familiarity advantage, but they don't have the crowd advantage. And so you'd think the advantage is going to be higher than 50-50, obviously, but usually I think it's around 60-40 uh, in a normal season in terms of the, the home team winning about 60% of the times, all things equal. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be less than that. Uh, and I'm going to be interested to see what it, what it actually ends up being. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be hard to tell because there's going to be, like, it's going to be weird, right? Because I think, like, a lot of teams are not going to play with fans at all, but I'm sure there's going to be some teams that have fans. Um, was it South Carolina or maybe was saying that they're planning to have, like, it's going to be, like, very spread out, just, like, a couple thousand people in the big arena or whatever, but someone definitely came out and said that they had, like, a plan to have fans this season. It's going to vary by state and by conference and everything, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, I did not know that about South Carolina, but I uh, I believe it. They... Make sure it was them. No. <laughs> yeah, well, I won't hold you to it if it's uh, if it wasn't them. But I, it, you know, if you had to ask me one team who it would be, honestly, I would probably guess South Carolina, partially because states in the South are a little bit more lax <laughs> on their COVID restrictions, and also South Carolina is the gold standard in college basketball, women's college basketball, when it comes to fans and in, in attendance they sell out how many games in a row have they sold out like a million i don't know what it what it is but they uh, they bring it so yeah and i did just confirm it is south carolina so i was not wrong so yeah they said yeah. it up to 3500 fans and their arena holds 18,000. so you're at like a fifth or 20 percent capacity or so i think um so definitely still keeping it socially distanced but there will be fans versus I think I don't know who is officially announced I know UConn has officially announced no fans for the time being at least I haven't really seen a lot of other official announcements but I'm sure those will be coming rolling out in the next couple weeks as things are about to kick off yeah definitely I uh South Carolina is going to lead the nation in attendance again huh (laughs) yeah well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's everyone else is going to be at zero, but uh, they will be at more than zero. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty, let's see. Another question here. 
um, from Stefan Wallace. He says, top five coaches that don't get enough love in the college game for all that they've accomplished. I don't know that we need to do a full top five, but any names that come to mind there? Uh, yeah, the name that came to my mind was Vic Schaefer. I think he's uh, – he maybe doesn't quite get, – he gets a lot of love, obviously. And he's uh, – this is also an answer to Gabe's question, I think, that we didn't get to yet about uh, maybe new head coach. I think that was Gabe. Was that Gabe? New head coaches? Um, um, maybe that was someone else. I, I forgot. I apologize if I'm misattributing that question. Someone asked us about new head coaches, um, and Vic Schaefer is also in that category at Texas. He he went from Mississippi State to Texas over the off season, so this is his first year in uh, in the Big Twelve, which which I think will be fun to see see his Texas teams go up against Kim Mulkey and Baylor. Um, but but he always had Mississippi State just elite on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, who can forget? I'm sorry to bring this up, Megan, but when Mississippi <laughs> State ended ended UConn's hundred whatever game win streak, um, that was that was one of maybe the best moments of, of Vic Schaefer's career, um, being able to win that game. But I I, I think uh, it's going to be really exciting. Like I said, to watch watch Texas Baylor in in years to come. I think I think Texas he's going to bring Texas up to that level, and, and Baylor is maybe not this year, but. A year or two down the road, Baylor's going to have a challenger in the Big 12, and they're not going to be sort of that runaway team in that in that conference uh, like they have been in years past. And, and something I'm interested to see, too, is just that at Mississippi State, uh, Schaefer's teams love to pound it in. They didn't shoot very many threes. Uh, and Baylor, Baylor is the same way, even more of an extreme, maybe like Las Vegas Aces sort of style basketball for any of our WNBA fan listeners. Uh, so both – but if, if Schaefer sort of takes that philosophy to Texas, that'll be that'll be a really fun sort of old school matchup to watch in, you know, an in-state rivalry. Yeah, I would agree with that. That was going to be kind of my go-to pick here. My other one on this one is might be a little bit of a weird pick because Stanford's so good, but I feel like maybe just because Stanford hasn't been like a Final Four contender the last few years, we don't hear that much about Tara Vanderveer, I feel like, anymore. And this like one of the all-time greats in the game, um, obviously has kept Stanford at an elite level for just so many consistent years, right? They they might not be the top four, like final four contender the last few years, but they're still an elite program every year. Um, and I feel like she doesn't quite get that much attention for it lately. Yeah, I, I think I think that is a fair assessment. I think you're right about that. It's I think I mentioned earlier that they uh, they won. 14 straight Pac-12 championships and then I haven't won one since last one was in 2014 so it's easy to kind of forget about them in the last six years like oh they're not you know winning every Pac-12 game anymore I think they lost like four Pac-12 games in the last six or seven years of that uh of that stretch I was, let me look at the number here yeah I had it written down it's uh in the last seven years of that stretch they were 122 and four in the Pac-12 which like sounds made up but it's not um, <laughs> and so now that the you know there are teams in the Pac-12 that actually compete with them, it's easy to forget that they're still elite. But I don't think Stanford has necessarily become a worse program since then. I think the Pac-12 is just better. You know, back when they won those 14 in a row, Oregon wasn't pumping out number one and number two WNBA picks. So it's not necessarily fair to sort of not still have uh, Tarv Interveer in that in that top tier. I agree with you on that one. Right, yeah, we talk, we've talked about so much the Pac-12 the last couple of years that it, like, feels like the norm, but it's, like, it's easy to forget they 
three years ago, you weren't really talking about the Pac-12. Like, no one really cared about the Pac-12. It was just, like, Stanford, and then no one else was, like, that high up on the ratings. But obviously that's changed dramatically in the last year. They've been, I think, the last two seasons, one of, if not the best conference overall. I think last year they were the best. year before, I let you toss it up between them and um, the ACC. But, yeah, they've just been really dominant the last couple of seasons that it's hard to remember that at one point they weren't, like, on that level. Yeah, definitely. And, and fun fact that has nothing to do with really the Pac-12, by the way, I want to throw out, though, because uh, we're talking about Tarvin Uh Tarvin sister is actually joining Division One this year. Um, she's a super successful, I don't know if you knew this, Division Two coach at UC San Diego. Um, and UC San Diego is joining D1 now, Heidi Vanderveer. So uh, I hope we can get, you know, whether it's this, maybe not this year, um, I don't know what the what the non-conference schedules look like for most teams this year, but I hope sometime in the near future we can get a non-conference matchup between UC San Diego and Stanford, get a get the Vanderveer Bowl going. <laughs> I did not know that, but that is such a fun fact. Love that. Um, and yeah, hopefully they play each other. That would be really fun to see. I wonder if they ever, I don't know this, I'm just like saying, like I wonder if they ever played like an exhibition game against each other at any point, because you know, in non-COVID times, usually teams play like a Division Two school or something for an exhibition game before the season starts. I feel like it would have been fun for them to play against each other. That's true. I bet they did. I have to look it up, but that would be the ultimate sibling rivalry. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not field to red story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except uh, you know, now if they play, if they play going forward, it'll actually count. It won't be exhibition because. They both D1. It would be even more of a sibling rivalry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, did you have any other uh, coaches on that list, the underrated coach coaching list? I feel like I should, but I don't have anyone off the top of my head. Um, do you have anyone else? Um, that's – I didn't write anyone else down. I'm, I'm uh, just coming to mind just now that I think about it, is, is Joe McEwen at Northwestern. I don't know if he's underrated or not. It's not like he's been – not like Northwestern has been a league or anything for the last decade or two, but uh, they they were really good this past year. They could be really good again, good again this year. They they bring back uh, a lot of pieces, um, and he has a super interesting defense called the Blizzard that I'm fascinated by. It's like a one one three zone or or something, uh, and I love watching it in the Big Ten. Uh, our listeners don't know I live in Illinois, so watch a lot of Big Ten basketball, um, and so. I, I think his uh, he's been there for a long time, and that defense, even even before you know Northwestern was sort of making national noise last year, the defense was always always good. So um, maybe maybe you could throw him into that. Definitely not like a Vic Schaefer or Tar Vanderveer <laughs> type of level, but uh, I don't know someone that that I think maybe deserves a little more love, and hopefully we'll get a little bit more love this year if he can come anywhere close to repeating what they did last year. Yeah, the Big Ten was so much fun. I think, like, unexpectedly so much fun last year. Like, ended up being one of the top conferences in the nation. Not necessarily because they had, like, a bunch of elite programs, but but just they were so good, like, top to bottom. The bottom was so high and kind of night in, night out. It was competitive. Um, that was just a lot of fun to follow. Yeah, you. T- I mean, the Big Ten had the, you know, they did not have the best team or second best team, but they definitely had the best eighth best team or the best ninth best team. Great. You know, they – they had these teams from from nine to twelve who could really compete with three or four on any given night, which most power conferences don't have. So very fun league. I, I hope we get more of that this year. 
Agreed. All right, so I think that's all the questions we're going to answer today. Any other random college basketball thoughts you want to share, Calvin, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I'll just uh, maybe leave on on this, going back to Gabe's question about new coaches, mentioned Vic Schaefer, but just want to just wanna leave by wishing Neil Ivey, you know, lots of success at Notre Dame. I'm excited to watch her play it well, play as well. We didn't, we didn't talk about her at all and taking over for, for Muffet McGraw. That's a big storyline in the season that I know we're running out of time, so maybe we don't have to get into a bunch, but just wanted to throw that in there before we leave that I'm really excited to watch her coach at Notre Dame and, and hopefully get Notre Dame back to, to the level where we're accustomed to them being. Agreed, agreed. Excited for that as well. Um, so yeah, we'll wrap it up there. And with the official countdown when this comes out, it'll be less than three weeks from the season. It'll be three weeks from today. It will be Thanksgiving. Crazy. Um, but yeah, countdown to the season is officially on. Absolutely, Megan. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Happy Halloween. <laughs> All of the holidays. Time to All of the holidays. 2020. <laughs> Thanks for joining, Calvin. Thanks for having me, Megan. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Make sure that you rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Also, heading into the NCAA season, don't forget to check out the stats site at herhoopstats.com. All of the kind of women's basketball insight that you need for the NCAA season. Some new features dropping soon, so be sure to check that out. Also, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter and following us on social media at herhoopstats. You can find all of our stuff there. Thanks for listening. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.